0: Hello, I'm Byron Reese. I am the host of Voices in AI. If you're interested in the topics we discuss in these podcasts, I'd urge you to check out my newest book. It's called The Fourth Age. It's about conscious computers and artificial intelligence and the future of work and jobs and all of the topics we cover here on Voices in AI. It comes out uh, next spring, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon or wherever else you order books from. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaHome. I'm Byron Reese. Today, our guest is Deep Varma. He's the VP of Data Engineering and Science over at Trulia. He holds a Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science. He has a Master's degree in Management Information Systems. And he even has an MBA from Berkeley to top all of that off.
1: Welcome to the show, Deep. Thank you. Thanks, Byron, for having me here.
0: I'd like to start with my Rorschach test question, which is what? is artificial
1: intelligence. Awesome, yeah, so I think as I define artificial intelligence, this is an intelligence created by machines based on human wisdom to augment human's lifestyle to help them make the smarter choices. So that's how I define artificial intelligence in a very simple and the layman terms but you
0: just kind of used the word smart and intelligent in the definition. What actually is
1: intelligence? Yeah, I I think the intelligence part, what we need to understand is when you think about the human beings, you know, most of the time they are making decisions, they are making choices and how this artificially, it is helping us to make the smarter choices and decisions, and giving a very clear cut example, which sometimes what we don't see it here, right? It is. I still remember in the old days I used to have this conventional thermostat at my home, you know, which is turn on and off manually, and then suddenly, you know, here comes the artificial intelligence, which got us Nest. Now, as soon as I put the Nest there, it's it's an intelligence. What it is doing is it is sensing that someone is there in home or not so there's a motion sensing then it is seeing that what kind of the temperature do I like you know during summertime during winter time and artificially using this the software what we had the brain what we have put on this device is doing this intelligence and saying great this is what I'm going to do so in one way it augmented my lifestyle rather than me making those decisions, it is helping me make the smart choices. So that's what I meant by, you know, this intelligence piece here.
0: Well, let me let me take a different tack. In what sense is it artificial? Is that Nest thermostat, is it actually intelligent? Or is it just
1: mimicking intelligence? Or are those the same thing? I, I think it, it's, is there a few things. So what we are doing is we are, putting some sensors there on those devices and those devices. So at the end of the day, the core, the way I explain Brian is, you know, when you think about it's, it's the nervous system, the central nervous system, what human beings have. So it is a small piece of a software which is embedded within that device, which is making decisions for you. So it is trying to mimic, it is trying to make some predictions based on some of the data what it is collecting so in one way if you step back that's what human beings are doing on a day-to-day basis so there is a piece of it you know where you can go with an hybrid approach it is mimicking as well as trying to learn also
0: do you think we learn a lot about artificial intelligence by studying how humans learn things, like is that the first step when you wanna do computer vision or translation? Do you, do you start by saying, okay, how do I do it? Or do you start by saying, forget how a human does it, what would be the way a machine would do it? Yes, I, th- I,
1: th- I think it's, it, is, it is very tough to compare the two entities, you know, because the way human brains or the central nervous system, the, the way, the speed, they process the data, machines are still not there at the same pace. So I think the difference here is when I grow up, my parents started telling me, hey, this is Taj Mahal. This is the sky is blue. And, you know, I started taking this data and I started inferring and then I started passing this information to others. It's the same way machines. The only difference here is we are feeding information to machines. We are saying... Computer vision, here is a photograph of a cat. Here is a photograph of a cat too. And we keep on feeding this information with the same way we are feeding information to our brains to say that machines get trained over the period of time and then we show another image of a cat. Then we don't need to say, this is a cat. Machine will say, oh, I found out this is cat. So I think this is how the difference between the machine and a human beings where we are feeding the information to them in one form or other form using some devices. But in the case of human beings, you know, you have this conscious learning, you have this physical aspects around you, how you're learning. So that's the way I think where we are with artificial intelligence, which I believe is still in very infancy stage.
0: So humans are really good at transfer learning, right? Like, you know, we can... I can show you a picture of, you know, a miniature version of the Statue of Liberty. And then I can show you a bunch of photos and you can tell when it's upside down or half in water or obscured by light and all that. We do that really well. How close are we going to be able to, how close are we to being able to feed computers a bunch of photos of cats and the computer nails the cat thing, but then we only feed it three or four images of mice and it takes all that stuff it knows about different cats and it is able to figure out all about different mice.
1: So, is your question is how this machines, do we think these machines are gonna be at the same level of human beings in doing this? I- no, I, I guess the question is
0: if we have to teach, uh, here's a cat, here's a thimble, here's 10,000 thimbles, here's a pincushion, here's 10,000 more pins, if we have to do one thing at a time, we're never gonna get there. And what we gotta do is, right, like learn how to abstract up a level and say, animals look like this and here's just here's a manatee now you should be able to spot a manatee in any situation
1: yeah and i think this is where we start moving in the general intelligence area this is where i think it is becoming a little interesting and challenging because human beings falls under more on the general intelligence and machines are still falling under the artificial intelligence framework. And the example you were giving, right? It's basically, you know, having two boys with me. I know that, you know, it's when my boys were young, I tell them, Hey, this is, you know, this is a milk and you show them two times a milk, then they know, awesome. This is a milk. And here comes the machines. You keep feeding them the big data with the hope that, you know, they will learn and they will say, uh, this is basically a picture of a mice or this is a picture of a cat. And I think it's, it's, we need to, this is where I think is this general intelligence, which is transforming into an artificial general intelligence is shaping up that how we are going to abstract a level up and start conditioning. But I, I feel we haven't cracked, you know, Baron, the code for the one level down yet, and I think it is going to take us time to even get to the next level. I believe at this time.
0: So, do you? I, I believe me. I, I I understand that. That uh, it's funny. The more uh, when you chat with people who spend their days working on these problems, they're. They're worried about, like, how am I going to solve, you know, this problem I have tomorrow? They, they, they're not as concerned about that. That being said, everybody, you know, kind of likes to think about an AGI. Do you believe that, so we've been, you know, AI is what, 50, uh, 62, uh, anyway, it's, it's six decades old. Yeah. And we've been making progress, making progress. Is that something that is going to evolve into an AGI? Like we're on that path already and we're just 1% the way there? Or do we just need to think, no, no, an AGI is something completely different. It's like a whole different way of looking at it. It's not just a better narrow AI. It's not just a bunch of narrow AIs bolted together. It's a completely different thing. What do you say?
1: Yeah, so what what I will say it is like, you know, in the in the software development or the computer systems, we call this as an objects and then we do inheritance of objects and the encapsulation of the objects so when you think about what is happening in the artificial intelligence spaces around us. There are companies, those who are investing in like company like Trulia investing in building the computer vision for real estate. There are companies investing in building the computer vision for you know cars and all those things i I believe we are in the state where all this you know dysfunctional disassociated investments in our system is happening so there are pieces gonna come out of that which will go towards AGI where I tend to disagree because the you know I believe AI is complementing us and AGI is replicating us and this is where I tend to believe the day the AGI is gonna come that means it's a singularity that we are reaching Uh, wisdom or the processing power of human beings, that to me seems like a doom day, right? Because that means humans, those machines are going to get smarter than us and they will control us. So I, and the reason being, I believe that there is a scientific reason of my belief here is because the central nervous system, and we know in the central nervous systems, the core two is the neurons. And we know neurons carry two signals. One is the chemical and the electrical. Machines can carry the electrical signals, but the chemical signals are the one which generates, you know, this uh, sensory signals. You touch something, you feel it. Then, you know, you have this, you know, motor neurons. So this is where I tend to believe AGI is not like it, it's, most like I'm close to confident is not going to happen. It's basically thinking machines are going to come, uh, where they're thinking like IBM Boston is an example. So that's how I'm differentiating at this time.
0: So to be clear, you said you don't believe we'll ever make
1: an AGI. Uh, I, I will. I will be the one of the extreme end, but I will say yes.
0: And that's uh, fascinating. So. Why is that? So the, the, the normal argument is a reductionist argument. It says you are, you know, uh, some number of trillions of cells that come together and there's an emergent you that comes out of that. And yep. hypothetically, if we made a synthetic copy of every one of those cells and connected them and, and did all that, there would be another another deep pharma. Yep. So where do you think the uh, the flaw in that logic is?
1: And I think the flaw in that logic is the general intelligence, what humans have is also driven by the emotional side and the emotional side, what is basically I call as a chemical soup. You know, this is where the emotions are driven. And that's where I feel that's the part of a DNA. That's a part which is going to be not possible to replicate in those machines. Those machines will learn by itself. We recently saw what happened with Facebook, where Facebook machines talking to each other and they start inventing their own language over the period of time, right? So I think this is where I believe the chemical mix-up of humans is the one which is next, to impossible to produce it. And again, I don't want to take those stands next because we have been proven over the decades what people used to believe in 70s have been come and and proven to be right. But I think the day we will able to find that chemical soup, it means we have found the nirvana and we have found out how human beings been born and how they've been built over the period of time. And it took us, we all know, millions and millions and millions of years to come to this state. So that's where I think it's the part which is making me on the other extreme end to say that, is it really going to be another deep verma? And if yes, then where is this emotional aspects? Where are those things that are going to fit into the bigger picture, which drive human beings on to the next level?
0: Well, I mean, there's a hundred questions rushing for the door right now. I'll start with the first one. And what do you think is the limit? of what we'll be able to do without the chemical part, just with, so for instance, you could say, well, uh, well, let me ask a straightforward question. Will will we be able to build a machine that passes the Turing test?
1: Uh, Say again, uh, this question? Do you
0: believe we'll build a machine that can pass the Turing test?
1: Can we build that machine? I think potentially, yes, we can.
0: So you can carry on a conversation with it and yep. not be able to figure out that it's a machine. So in that case, it's artificial intelligence in the sense that it really is artificial. It's just running a program, saying some words, running a program, saying some words, but there's, you know, yep. nobody home.
1: Yeah, but you know, we have IBM Boston also. You know, IBM Boston can go a s level up as compared to Alexa. And I think you will build those machines which behind the scene is trying to understand your intent and trying to have those conversations. And I believe um, like Alexa and Siri, are going to eventually start becoming more like your virtual assistants, helping you make those decisions, complementing you to make your lifestyle better. And I think that's the direction definitely we're going to keep seeing investments going on.
0: So I read a paper of yours where you made a passing reference. To westworld right so putting aside the last several episodes and what happened in that <laughs> i won't give any spoilers did take just the first episode do you think that we can will be able to build machines that can interact with people like that
1: i uh, i think yes we will right okay. and
0: this is, but they won't be truly creative and intelligent like we are that's true All right. Fascinating. So why do you think there seem to be these two very different camps about artificial intelligence? So you have, uh, you know, Elon Musk, who says it's an existential threat. You have Bill Gates, who's worried about it. You have Stephen Hawking, who's worried about it. And then every time, you know, I I saw that uh, Elon Musk, you know, was speaking to the governor's convention and said something. And then Pedro Domingos, who wrote, you know, the the master algorithm, he he retweeted that article. and, And his whole tweet was, one word, colon, sigh. So, you know, there's this whole group of people that think that's just really distracting, really not going to happen, and they're really put off by that kind of talk. Why do you think there's such a gap between those two groups of people?
1: You know, it, it, is, it, it is the gap is there are one camp who is very curious and they continue to believe the millions of years of how human beings evolve can immediately be taken by AGI. And the other camp is more the the camp of the controlling, the aspect of are those machines going to become smarter than us? Are they going to control us? Are we going to become their slaves? And I think so so those two camps are the one which Uh, And, you know, which continues to be on the other extremes because there is a piece of a fear of the control, right? Because humans, if you look into the food chain, human beings are the only one in the food chain as of now, those who control everything. And those machines, if they're going to get, even at our level, the wisdom we have or smarter than us, we are going to lose the control over the things. And that's where I think is, Those two camps are basically coming to the extreme ends and taking the stance.
0: So let's switch gears a little bit. Aside from the robot uprising, there's a lot of fear wrapped up in the kind of AI we already know how to build. And it's related to automation. And just to set up the question for the listener, there's generally three camps. One camp says we're going to have all this narrow AI and it's gonna put a bunch of people out of work, people with less skills, and they're not gonna be able to get new work and we're gonna have kind of the Great Depression going on forever. And then there's a second group that says, no, no, it's worse than that. Computers can do anything a person can do. We're all we're all gonna be replaced. And then there's a third camp that says that's ridiculous. Every time something comes along like steam or electricity, people just take that technology and use it to increase their own productivity. And that's how progress happens. So which of those three camps, or a fourth one, perhaps, do you believe?
1: So I, I fall into mostly the last camp, which is, we are going to increase the productivity of human beings, it means we will be able to deliver more and faster. and And the reason being is, you know, I was A few months back, I was in Berkeley, you know, we were having the discussions around the same topic about the automation and how jobs are going to go away. And, you know, Obama administration published the papers around this topic. And one example which always comes in my mind and I'm, you know, so for example, recently, you know, last year I did the remodeling of my house and when I did the remodeling my house, you know, there are electrical wires, there are, you know, this um, water pipelines going inside my house and we have to replace it with the copper, wire, uh, copper pipelines and that. And I was thinking about it. It's basically, this is where can machines replace that job? Can machines can do that? And I keep coming back to the answer. Those those skill level jobs are going to be tougher and tougher and tougher to replace. But then there are, there are going to be productivity gains, you know, where it can help them to cut those pipeline pieces much faster in much more accurate way. They can measure, you know, how much wire do you need to replace those things? I think those things are going to keep helping us to make the smarter choices, but it's, I continue to believe it is going to be mostly the third camp where it will keep complementing us to improve our lifestyles and to improve our productivity to make the smarter choices.
0: So you would say that there are, in most jobs, there are elements that computers cannot, automation cannot replace, but it can augment. And And, and you're right, though, like a plumber or um, or, or so forth. So what would you say to somebody who's worried that they're going to be unemployable in the future? Um, yeah. What would you advise them to do?
1: Yeah. And I, 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 I think is what I'm advi- I'm going to advise them to do is because it's, it's the example I gave is a very different is a physical work. What I gave it to like, then you think about an example of business consultants, right? Companies hire those business consultants. They come, they collect all the data, then they prepare those PowerPoints on what actions can be taken, what you should do and what you should not do. I I, I think those are the areas where I feel artificial intelligence is going to come. And, you know, if you have tons of the data, you don't need 100 consultants for that. For those people, I will feel that go and start learning about, what can be done for them to scale them to the next level? So the example I'm just giving the business consultants, if they come and they look into the financial paperwork, like they are doing an auditing of a company with the financial books and all those things, can they start looking into the tools that, you know, rather than this whole audit takes 30 days, this audit will take 10 days. Right. And how fast, and accurate, they can make those predictions and assumptions using machines so that those businesses can move on. So I think what I will tell it to them, start looking into and partnering into those areas early on so that you are not caught by surprise where one day some industry will come and just disrupt you and you will see, ouch, I never thought about it and my job is no longer there.
0: So it sounds like you're saying figure out how to use more technology. That's your that's best true. That's your best defense against it is you just start using it to increase your own productivity. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because machine translation is getting comparable to a human. And yet, generally, uh, people are bullish that we're going to need more translators because this is going to cause people to want to do more deals and then they're going to need to have, you know, contracts negotiated and know about customs in other countries and all of that so that So that actually being a translator, you you get more business out of this, not less. So you think things like that are are kind of the roadmap forward?
1: Yep, that's true.
0: So what are some challenges with the technology? Let's start at the – so in in Europe, there is a movement. I think it's already adopted in some places, but the EU is considering it. This idea that if an AI makes a decision about you, like do you get the loan – that you have the right to know why it made it. In other words, no black boxes. You have to have transparency and say, it was made for this reason. Do you think, A, that's possible? And B, do you think that's a good policy?
1: Yes, I definitely believe it's possible and it's a good policy because this is what consumers wants to know, right? And it is even if we step back and not think from a machine's point of view in our real estate industry, when appraisal came appraisal, like if I'm trying to, you know, refinance my home, the appraisal is going to come. He will look into it. He will sit with me. When he will send me a oh, deep your house is $1.5 million. He will provide me the data that what he used to come to that decision. He used the neighborhood information. He used the recent, recent sold data. And that, at the end of the day, give confidence back to the consumer that awesome, you know, this is not because this appraisal came to my home. He didn't like me for XYZ reason and he ended up giving me something wrong. So I completely agree that we need to be transparent. We need to share that why this decision being made. And then, you know, at the same time, we should allow people to come and, you know, understand it more better and make it better, those decisions. So I think is those guidelines needs to be put into a place because otherwise, you know, humans tends to be much more biased in their decision making process. And those machines takes those bias out and bring more unbiased decision making.
0: Right. I guess the other other side of that coin, though, is that you take um, a, a world of information about who defaulted on their loan, and then you take every bit of information about and and every bit of information you can about who paid their loan off, and you just pour it all into some gigantic data data source and uh, database, and then you mine it and you try to figure out how could I have spotted these people that didn't pay their loan, how could I have spotted them? And then you come up with some conclusion that may or may not make any sense to a human, right? Isn't that the case? That it's, it's weighing hundreds of factors with various weights and, and like, how do you tease out, oh, it was yeah. this? I mean, life isn't quite that simple, is it?
1: Yeah, no, it is not, it is. And again, it's demystifying this whole black box is never been simple and trust us, you know, we, we face those challenge and, you know, in the real estate industry on day to day basis, you know, when we have truly estimates, it's not, it's not easy. And I think is just knowing, so we, we, at the end, we just can't rely totally on those algorithms to make the decision for us. And I will just put a one simple example here to tell you how this can go wrong. We have seen, Byron, that when we were training our computer vision system and, you know, what we were doing is we were trying to train our computer vision, saying that this is window, this is window, this is window. And then what happened the day we came and we said, wow, our computer vision can say, I will put an image. It says this is a window. And one fine day we got an image where there is a mirror and there is a reflection of a window on this mirror, and our computer said, "Ah, oh, deep, this is a window. So this is where a big data and the small data comes into a place where small data can make all those predictions goes wrong completely. And this is where when we you are talking about all this data we are taking in to see who's on default, who's not on default, uh, I think is, you know, we need to abstract and we need to at least make sure that this aggregated data, this computational data, what we have done, what are the reference points for them? What are the references we are checking and making sure that there are right checks and balances being maintained so that, you know, machines are not ultimately making all the calls for us.
0: So, you you're a positive guy like you're like we're not going to build an agi it's not going to take over the world people are going to be able to use narrow ai to 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 grow their productivity we're not going to have unemployment so what are some of the pitfalls challenges or potential problems with the
1: technology yeah so i think i i yes i agree with you it's being a positive in the sense realistically Looking into the data and again, I'm not saying that this is I have the best and the, you know, data in front of me, I I think it's what is the most important we need to look into the history and we need to see how we evolve when internet came what happened. The challenge for us is going to be continue to be the there are businesses there are groups who are continue to believe the artificial intelligence, something what they don't have to worry about. And over the period of time, this artificial intelligence is going to start becoming more and more part of your business. And the businesses, those who are not able to catch up with this, they're going to see the unemployment rate increases there. They're going to see, companies' losses are going to increase because some of the decisions they are not making in the right way. And you're going to see there are companies like Lehman Brothers, you know, those who are making this, all the data decisions for their clients, suddenly not using the machines, but relying on humans, how the big companies fail because of them. So I think those are the areas where we're going to continue to see the problem. And the bankruptcy getting filed on those companies and the unemployment increasing because their denial to think that artificial is not, artificial intelligence is not for me, not for my business. It is never going to impact me. This is where I think we're going to get the most trouble. The second area of the trouble is going to be the security and the privacy, which I believe, right? Because all this data is now floating around us, right? So we, as of now, use internet. I use my credit card. Every time we hear every month, Target being hacked, Citibank being hacked, all this data are physically stored in the system and it is getting hacked. And now all this data is wirelessly transmitting each other, machines talking to each other, devices, IoT devices talking to each other. How are we going to make sure that you know, there is not a security threat? How are we going to make sure that you know, no one is storing this data and trying to you know, make assumptions and enter into my bank account? Those are the two areas where I feel we are going to see in coming years more and more challenges.
0: So you said privacy and security are the two areas?
1: Uh, I will say denial of accepting AI oh, is the one and security and privacy is the second one those are the two areas
0: so in the first one is it your position i mean are there any industries that don't need to worry about it or you're you're saying no no every single if you make bubble gum you better start using ai
1: i i, I will say every industry yes I, I think it's it's every industry need to worry about it the face can be some industries may Adapt those technologies faster, some may go slower, but I think is, uh, I'm pretty confident, you know, this, the hockey shift is gonna happen so fast that people will, those businesses will be blindfolded, be you small business or, you know, moms and pop shops or the big corporation, it's, it's gonna touch everything.
0: Well, with regard to security, if the threat is artificial intelligence, I guess it stands to reason that the remedy is AI as well. Is that true?
1: It's, the remedy is there, yes. Uh, you know, people, we are seeing so many companies coming and saying, hey, we can help you see the DNS attacks, you know, when you have the hackers trying to attack your site use our technology to you know, predict that this IP address or this user agent is wrong. And we, we see that to tackle the re- remedy, we are building an artificial intelligence. But this is where I think the battle between a big data and the small data is colliding with each other and companies are still struggling like phishing. Phishing is a big problem for us. There are so many companies those who are trying to solve the phishing problem of the emails. But, you know, we have seen technologies not able to solve it. And so I, I think it's AI is a remedy, but I think we staying, Byron, just focus on the big data. I think that's where I believe is completely wrong because I, what my fear is a small data set can completely destroy the predictions built by the big data set. And this is where those security threats can bring more issues to us
0: explain that last bit again the small data set can destroy yeah. uh,
1: so that's so giving an example here you know i was i was giving an example of the computer vision right so there was a research we did in berkeley where we trained machines to look into the pictures of a cat and then suddenly we see computers started predicting oh this is this kind of a cat this is cat one cat two this is a cat with white fur then what happened is just one image where we took and put the overlay of a dog on a body of a cat machines end up predicting that's a dog not seeing that's a body of a cat so All the big data what we use to train our computer vision just collapsed with one photo of a dog. And this is where I feel that we emphasizing so much on using the big data set, big data set, big data set. Are there smaller data sets, which we also need to worry about to make sure that we are bridging the gap to making sure that our securities are not compromised.
0: Do you think that the system as a whole is brittle? Like, could the could there be an attack of such magnitude that it impacts the whole digital ecosystem? Or are you worried more about this company gets hacked and then that one gets hacked and they're, they're just kind of, they're nuisances, but they're at least like we can survive them.
1: You know, i know, I'm, I'm more worried about, the holistic view we saw recently how those attacks on the UK hospital systems happened. We saw some attacks, you know, which we are not talking about on our power stations, right? So I think it is, you know, I'm more concerned about is there going to day when we have built those massive infrastructures, their reliance on computers on generation of power and the supply of power and the telecommunication And suddenly, you know, this whole outage which can take the world to a standstill because, you know, there is a small hole which we never thought about. So that's that's to me is a bigger threat than the standalone individual things which are happening around.
0: That's a hard problem to solve. There's a small hole in the Internet that we've not thought about that can bring the whole thing down. That's a that would be a tricky thing to find, wouldn't it?
1: It it is, it is a yeah. tricky thing. And I think that's what I'm trying to say that most of the time we fail because of those smaller things. And if I go back, Byron, and bring the general intelligence or the artificial general intelligence back into a picture, as a human beings, you know, those small, small decisions we make. Like we see all the pictures, I see all the animals, I see all those things, but we make a fast decision when this animal is approaching very closer to me and so close that my senses and my emotions are telling me I'm gonna die, right? That's and this is where I think sometimes we tend to ignore those small data sets. I was in a big debate around those, you know, self-driven cars which are shaping up around us. And people were asking me when we will see those self driven cars in a San Francisco street. And I said, I see people doing crazy jaywalk every day. And humans accidents are happening, no doubt, but the scale can increase so fast if those machines, if they have one simple sensor which is not working at that moment of time and not able to get one signal can kill human beings much faster as compared to what human beings are killing. So that's the relation, rational which I'm trying to put here.
0: So I was gonna ask you, one of my questions that I was gonna ask you is do you think AI is a mania? Like we, it's everywhere, but it seems like You're a person who says every industry needs to adopt it. So if anything, you would say that we need more focus on it, not less. Is that true? That's true. Do you worry about... So, you know, there there was a man in the 60s named Weizenbaum who made a program called ELISA, which was a simple program that you would ask it a question. uh, You would say something like, uh, I'm having a bad day. And then it would say, why are you having a bad day? And then you would say, I'm having a bad day because... Uh, I had a fight with my spouse and then it says why did you have it and so it was really simple but uh, and Weizenbaum got really concerned because he saw people kind of pouring out their heart to it they knew it was a program and it really disturbed him that people developed emotional attachment to Eliza and he said that you know when 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 a computer says I understand that it's just a lie that there's no I there's nothing that understands anything do you worry that if we build machines that can imitate human emotions, you know, maybe the care for people or whatever, that we will end up having um, emotional attachment to them, or that that is in some way unhealthy?
1: It's it's a very, you know, Byron, it's a very great question. I, I think, you know, let me also here pick an, a great example. So I have Alexa at my home, right? I have two boys, and, you know, my when we are in a kitchen, because this uh, is there, Alexa is in our kitchen. My older son comes home, Alexa, what's temperature looks like today? Alexa says, temperature is this. And then he says, okay, shut up to Alexa. My wife standing there saying, hey, don't be rude. Just say, Alexa, stop. You see that connection? The connection is you already started treating this machine as a respectful device, right? So I think, yes, there is that emotional connection there, and you know, that's you getting it to use to of it and seeing as part of your life is an emotional connection which is making you treat. So I think, yes, you're right, that's that's a danger, but I think is. I'm more concerned about than Alexa's and all those devices. I'm more concerned about the social media uh, sites, which can have much more impact on our society than those devices, because those devices are still physical in shape. And we know that if internet is down, they're not talking and all those things. I'm more concerned about those virtual things, where people getting more emotionally attached. Oh, let me go and check what my friend's been doing today, what movie they watched, and how they're trying to build that emotional gap by not meeting individuals, but seeing the photos, making them happy. So that's the way I'm thinking. But yes, uh, just to answer your question, I'm, I'm concerned about that emotional connection with the devices.
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I know somebody uh, who, who lives on a farm, and he has young children, and of course, he's raising animals to solder, and he said, you know, the, the rule is you just never name them, because if you name them, then that's, you know, that's it. They become kind of a pet. And we've, of course, Amazon chose to name Alexa and give it a human voice, and, uh, and, and, and that had to be a deliberate decision. You just wonder kind of what all went into it. Interestingly, Google did not name theirs. It's just the Google yeah. Assistant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you, do you have a predict, like what, where do how do you think that's going to shake out? Are we just provincial and, you know, the next generation isn't going to think anything of it and, uh, and it's all, I mean, what do you think will happen?
1: So, what, so is your question is what's going to happen with all those devices and with all those AIs and all those things? Yes, yes. I I think what's going to happen over the period of time, is those devices and everything is as of now is just operating in their own silo at this moment of time. There is too much of a silos happening. Like in my home, I have Alexa, I have a Nest, you know, those plugins being developed, you know, where Alexa is talking to Nest. Hey Nest, turn it off, turn it on. I think what's where we are heading is, where we are gonna see in next five years how those devices are just communicating with each other and sending the signals, hey, I just saw that deep left home and garage door is open, turn you know, close the garage, garage door. So I think is this connectivity, which is IoT, is popping up pretty fast. And I think it is like you know, people are thinking about it, but they're not so much worried. So, that connectivity, I feel, where we are heading is more of the connectivity with those devices, you know, which will help us again complement and make the smart choices. So, that's where I think we are heading at this moment of time. And our reliance on those assistants are going to increase more. Like, so, for another example here, you know, I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is come to the kitchen and Alexa put the music, Alexa, put the music, Alexa, what's the weather going to look like? Oh, deep. San Francisco is going to be 75. Then deep knows deep is going to be a t-shirt today. Here comes my coffee machine, my coffee machine. I put it there. It already learned that, you know, I want eight ounces of a coffee. It just makes it. So I think All those connections, oh, Deep just woke up. It is 6 a.m. in the morning. Deep is going to go to office because it's a working day. Deep just came to kitchen. Play this music. Tell Deep that this temperature is this. Make coffee for Deep. This is where we are heading in next uh, few years where all this movies what we used to watch where, you know, people sitting there and that's, uh, you know, watching everything happening in the real time. That's what I think is next five years is going to look like for us. So
0: talk to me about Trulia. How do you deploy AI at your company, both customer facing and internally?
1: That's such an awesome question because I'm so excited and passionate because this this brings me home right where I feel. So I think artificial intelligence, as you said, there are two aspects to it. One is a consumer and one is the internal. And I think, for us, AI helps us to better understand you know what our consumers are looking for in a home. How can we help move them faster in their search? That's the consumer fake facing tagline. And you know example here is Byron is looking into two bedroom, two bath in a quiet neighborhood, good school district. It's is basically you know using this artificial intelligence. I can surface you the things in much more faster way, so that you don't have to spend you know five hours surfing our site. So that's more internal facing. Um, that's more consumer facing. I'm sorry. Now, when it comes to the internal facing, internal facing is what I call this as a data driven decision making. Right? We we launch a product. Right? How do we see this usage of our product? How do we predict whether this usage is going to scale? Is this consumers are going to like this? Should we invest more in this product feature? That's more on the internal facing, the way we are using artificial intelligence. And I don't know if you have read some of my blogs, but I. I call this is, you know, there are many and many companies, those who talk about the data driven companies, hey, we are the data driven companies. And Byron, there are two aspects of the data driven. One is the data driven decision making. This is more of an analyst and all those things. That's the internal reference to your point. And the external is of, to the consumer facing is more of the data driven product company. How do we understand unique, you know, criterias and unique Intent of you as a Byron that what needs are you looking into? That's how we use This artificial intelligence in the spectrum of uh, Trulia
0: So what would be um, like a project when when you look at at Let's try to solve this problem with data. Is it? Speculative like do you have you swing for the fences and you miss a lot or are you you? you kind of look for kind of easy incremental wins, or are you doing anything that would look like pure science or let's just experiment and see what happens with this. Like is, is the science so nascent that you kind of just have to get in there and start poking around and see what you can do?
1: I think it's both. I, I, I think it's, it's both. The science helps you understand those patterns much faster and better and much more accurate way that's what science helps you and then basically this trial and error or in what we call this as an a b testing frameworks helps you to validate whether what science is telling you is working or not and i'm happy to share an example with you here if you want right it's absolutely yeah so the example here is you know we have invested in our computer vision which is you know we trained our machines and our machines basically say hey this is a photo of a bathroom this is a photo of a kitchen and we even have trained that this is a kitchen with a white granite countertop now if we have built this massive database and we have trained our machines what we have seen when consumers like Deep, they come to site like Trulia. What they do is they come and share their intent, and Deep will say, "I want two bedroom in Noe Valley." And the first thing what they do is when those listings shows up, the first thing they click are the images because that's what they want to see how that house looks like. What we saw there are times those images are blur, there are times, you know, those images are not matching up with the intent of a consumer. So what we did with our computer vision, we invested in something called, you know, the most attractive image, which basically takes the three attributes, it looks into the quality of an image, it looks into the appropriateness of an image, and it looks into the relevancy of an image. Based on all the three things, we used our conventional neural network models. We rank those images and we say, great, this is the best image. So now when deep comes and look into that listing, we show deep that most attractive photo first. And that way, you know, deep basically gets more engaged with that listing. And what we have seen using the science, which is machine learning, deep learning, CNN models, and doing the AB testing, this, project increased, you know, our inquiries for the listing by double digits. So that's one of the examples which I just want to share with you.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So what what is your next challenge? Like if you could wave a magic wand and and <laughs> like what would be the thing you would love to be able to do that maybe you don't
1: have the tools or the data to do yet? Yes, yeah, so I, th- I think what we we haven't talked about here is and I, I will use just a one minute to tell you that, you know, what we have done is, you know, we have built this amazing personalization platform, which is capturing Byron's unique preferences and search criteria we have built those machine learning systems like computer vision recommender systems, and, you know, the user engagement prediction model. So net in, we have built those systems. And I think our next challenge is, Keep optimizing the consumer intent, right? Because the biggest thing what we want to understand is what exactly is Byron looking into? So if Byron visits a particular neighborhood because Byron is traveling to Phoenix, Arizona, is that means you know you want to buy a home there? Or you know, it's Byron is in San Francisco and you live here in San Francisco. How do we understand? So, keep optimizing that pla- personalization platform is, I, I won't call it it's a challenge because we have already built this, but it is the optimization. And then, you know, making sure that our consumers, you know, get what they're searching for and, you know, keep surfacing them, you know, the relevant data on a timely manner. So, I think we are. Not there yet, but we have made major inroads into our big data and machine learning technologies. And, you know, one specific example here is Deep basically when looks into Noe Valley of San Francisco and, you know, email and the push notifications are the two channels for us where we know that Deep is gonna consume the content. Now, the day I will learn that Deep is not interested in Noe Valley, we stop sending those things to deep on Noi Valley that day because we don't want our consumers to be overwhelmed in their journey. So I think so. this is where we're going to keep on optimizing and our, you know, consumers intent, we will keep giving them the right content.
0: All right. Well, that is fantastic. If you write on these topics, so if people want to keep up with you deep, how can they uh, follow you?
1: So when you say people, is other businesses and all those things, right? That's what well, I
0: was just referring to your blog. Like I was reading some of your ah. some of your posts.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I think is you know we have our tech blog julia.com slash tech. So it's not only me, and I have an amazing team of engineers. You know those who are way smarter than me. To be very candid, my data scientist team and all those things. So we definitely write our blogs there. So I definitely ask people to follow up us on those blogs and then you know, I go and speak in conferences and then we definitely publish that on our tech blog and I publish things on my LinkedIn profile. So yeah, I think so. those are the channels uh, which people can follow Trulia. We also host, you know, data science meetups here in Trulia San Francisco seventh floor on our building That's another way people can come and join and learn from us.
0: All right, well, I wanna thank you for a fascinating hour of conversation, Deep. Thank you, Baron. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, I host another podcast about artificial intelligence. It's a daily podcast called The AI Minute. And every day, it's a minute or two of reflections about artificial intelligence. It's available wherever you find your podcasts of choice, but in addition, it's an Alexa skill, so it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.